Hello and welcome to The Curious Creative with Nicolette on Riverside Radio. This is The Curious Creative and it is the local radio show that supports the creative in learning who they are, who they are, so they can authentically do what they do. And today I am continuing our exploration of love and connection, the fourth human need. Just to remind you that you can listen to last week's show and any other shows that we've done here at anchor.fm where the show's recording, today's show, will be there within seven days of today. And in my last show, I talked about ways that you can healthily incorporate love and connection into your life. And not only that, I reminded you that we'll stop at absolutely nothing to feel to give love and to connect with others, even if it doesn't serve us, because it's a human need. Now this week, I'm going to continue love and connection as our focus, but this time it has a little jam on it. And I'd like you to really appreciate the relevance, importance and meaning of love and connection in our lives. So hoping she doesn't mind being referred to as jam (laughs) i've invited a very courageous and creative woman into the studio today to share her personal story about love about connection and about mental health serena sabala Hello. Hello there. Welcome. Thank you. I love jam, by the way. Oh, do you? <laughs> Big fan. <laughs> I chose right. <laughs> now, Serena is an entrepreneur, certified nutrition consultant, and a fellow yoga teacher. And she is also the co-founder of Whole Shift Wellness with her husband, Eugene. Whole Shift Wellness is a wellness coaching company based in London. And the reason I've invited Serena in the studio today is because of her passion for advocating awareness of mental health and her amazing desire to spark authentic conversations where it can be openly discussed. And here is one such place. So welcome to The Curious Creative, Serena. Thank you. So great to be here. Thank you you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming. (laughs) There'd be no show without you. (laughs) So are you happy to be the jam in today's show? Very. Okay. Very happy. Permission and consent granted. <laughs> Wonderful. Now, in my open, I refer to you as courageous, and I really, truly think that you are. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I want to share with my listeners why I think so, and perhaps they'll feel the same. Serena is a film producer. She has recently co-directed and co-produced a documentary exposing her experience and not only her personal experience but also her family's experience of caring for someone they love living with bipolar disorder. Now Serena has had her own motivations for creating this film but from the outside looking in I think she demonstrates the importance of love and connection to her, what it means to her and how it was essential that she positively weave it into the fabric of her present life. Now, she's courageous not only because she deliberately put herself in a position of vulnerability and being very seen, but also because her love for her family propelled her to create a documentary that included her past, her family, and her world. 
she's completely shared the key to her past experiences. And by watching the film, which I really hope you will do, anyone can enter and experience a world that only a few understand and are openly talking about. And I think that takes courage. But I understand that because love conquers everything. And if love was Serena's drive, then it doesn't matter what the sacrifice was, to be honest. It's a bit like a mother who'll pick up a truck to save her trapped child. It doesn't matter. So why don't we find out directly from Serena what motivated her to create the documentary Like Father? Serena, tell me, what motivated you? Well, most definitely was love for for my family, you know, uh, and for myself as well. So yeah. Don't get me wrong. There was a level of, of selfishness, selfishness involved as well. I um, I went to a process. I've been doing. I always do a lot of you know self development. Mm. Um, so this one particular self development course that I was attending a couple of years ago asked us to create a project to positively impact a community of our choice. And um, I decided that the community I wanted to impact was my um, extended family. Okay. And um, so um, going back to courage, and I love, I love what you were saying about it, oh, but I also want to clarify that courage is a process. Is not set in stone. <laughs> and I feel obliged to clarify this because when I decided to create this project for my family, I couldn't even deal with the idea of possibly making it public to a wider audience. Oh, wow. Okay. It just really genuinely started that as wanting to create the space for my family to be able to share in on their unique perception of this experience of dealing with my dad's bipolar disorder mm. in a very open and non-judgmental way um, in a way that would just allow them to simply talk you know with no other purpose than sharing right because I realized that although we talked about it through the years it, it's, it's, um, it's the main point of conversation in the family for sure because right. it's such an invasive problem we have to deal with mm. it was never with a sense of just wanting to share in and ask each other hey how how do you feel about it like how has this impacted you never that question had, had it been asked um, between us it was all a case of problem solving or finding solution to immediate emergencies or you know it, it was more like you know okay so what's today's deal that we need to face <laughs> so, so a lot of firefighting all of it was constant firefighting right. and anybody who has ever dealt with mental illness or specifically bipolar disorder will know how peculiar and invasive the issues are that we have to deal with. Well, maybe we should pause for a minute and actually share with the audience what yeah. is bipolar disorder? So bipolar disorder is also known as manic depression. It is a condition that affects your mood so that you swing from periods of profound depression to periods of what they call mania, where you lose control, uh, you get 
disinhibited and you know you kind of reach peak of like very very high moods right. and there's different kinds there's two different kinds of Apollo so you can either um, be mainly the place with a few slight little peaks or you can go through the extremes of both worlds the extremes of depression and the ex- extremes of mania right and my dad in my dad's case it definitely swings through both extremes pretty pretty deeply you know um and you know when you're depressed you're not moving you're literally not my dad there have been moments when my dad has spent six months solid in bed hardly getting up barely getting up to eat and shower um and then the mania you know you know uh, it would take me an hour probably just to go through some of what that (laughs) entails but it's you lose all sense, all sense of t- uh, being in touch with reality, and you lose all inhibitions and become completely uncontrollable. So they're very extreme, very extreme and very invasive, especially the manic periods for the communities around him. Because you know, when you're depressed, you're not doing very much, so there's not much damage that that, that can come to the outside world out of it. It's more just self damage. When you're manic. Um, my, well, my dad was actually dangerous. You know, he was violent and dangerous and out of control. And um, he spent yeah, incredible amounts of money in the shortest periods of time. So there's deaths involved, you know, there's fights, you know, there's violence involved. So, you know, we're talking about big problems. Mm. And so my family was always stuck in that place of, talking about the problems and the problem solving aspects of their experience and I realized and you know it's very challenging and you know, my dad can be very manipulating not because he is but I think it's a trait of the illness that makes you so uh, so there's a lot of you know pitching people against each other as well so through the years I realized that this experience which is probably like the greatest thing we all have in common was starting to separate us and was starting to create divisions between members of the family. So instead of it becoming the reason why we are so strong, we are together, we are connected, we are so present with our love for each other, it was becoming a reason for separation. How did that show itself? Well, you know, lack of, of communication, and we just started dwindling apart. We would only get together when there would be a problem that needed solving rather than get together for the sheer pleasure of getting together. Mm-hmm. You know, that was probably the most prominent factor that showed this division. And the more you do that, the more the division kind of d- digs deep yeah. between the members. So why do you think no family members identified that and found a solution for it? That's a great question. I, well, I think I'm... Um, I'm a very into self-development and self-analysis. And also, you know, I'm lucky that I live abroad. So I have always had an edge on them in that I have that kind of a slightly of more outsider's perspective looking in. Right. So family, Italian in Italy. Right. They're all Italian. They're all in Italy. Um, only my sister has recently now moved out of our hometown. They are all still living in the same town where, where, where they, we all grew up. I'm the only one that lives abroad that has left kind of the family um, 
and and so it, I think that's an advantage I have is that I can see things from a slightly different perspective. And I do a lot of self-development and which I always question. I al- I've always been like that. I've always mm-hmm. asked questions and wanted to kind of th- look at things from different perspectives. And this course was really kind of the spark that I needed to be able to identify this. And so I decided to create the space just for them to be able to share and talk and answer questions that didn't have to s- to do with solving a problem or finding mm-hmm. a solution to an emergency. They, they were all questions pertaining around them. Like, wh- how are you? How do you feel? How, is the, how has this impacted your life? You know, in 20 plus years, we'd never asked those questions to each other. How did you frame this? This project is it a project? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How sure. did you frame this project to them to even enroll them? You know, when uh, that was the most frightening thing, when I th- when the thought first came into my mind of doing this thing, the fear of rejection <laughs> was as big as this room or more. <laughs> so, um, and I honestly can honestly say that. I was pretty certain that I was going to get some big fat no's. Maybe not from all of them, but from many of them. But I was so driven to just ask the question. And I was so authentic, I think, in my sharing with them. Um, And I think that the genuine intention was so authentic to just wanting to get their take on things and mm. wanting to hear things and ask them questions that I'd never asked before. There was no hidden agenda. That was genuinely just the pure intention behind the project that that I think it resonated with them. I also realized through going through the process that they were as curious and in as much need of wanting to ask these questions and hear these answers as I was. Oh, and you determined that through exploring with them? Yes. So what was it that prevented them? You know, I think it's just how humans sometimes tend to self-sabotage themselves, you know. It's just that f- because they probably had the same inherent fear of going there that mm. I had. Okay. Uh, but they couldn't break through it for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I had just the, the boldness of going like, you know what, it's it's fine if if it doesn't go the way I intended to go, mm. but I'm gonna ask the question anyways. And I, who knows what makes people a bit bolder and versus other people a little bit more um, reserved. Like I said, I think a lot has to do with me with my outsider's perspective looking in. Mm. Um, but yeah, so they all it was they all said yes, and they all shared more openly than I could have even imagined. So you've got the family together. I got the family together. I was so nervous that day. Really? Was Tell me about that. That day was, uh, to be honest, just that day, then that experience on the, on the shooting day was probably worth the whole thing. Like if that's all I had gotten out of it, if we hadn't even kind of then edited and put together the film, it still would have been all worth its while because that was one of the most powerful and cathartic days in my family I have ever experienced. Just getting them all together under one roof with the same common object in mind of just sharing in on this experience. 
like the energy i was very nervous because I, I i don't i don't know where the nerves came from i was like why am i so nervous i've been in <laughs> the same room as them before in my life this is not the first time but it was different and and they were equally as excited and um we just all bonded over over just sharing in on our uh, mutual experiences and knowing that nobody would judge anybody and uh, it wasn't about finding a, a solution or a, uh, to a problem it was just about talking to each other opening up to each other learning new things about each other as a family that we hadn't given ourselves the space and the opportunity to learn um very cathartic experience did you need to preframe that to them in order for them to know that it was non-judgmental, that they could say whatever was on their mind. Yes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It, that was the pitch. You know, when I talked to them, I pitched it. You know, in, in such a way because that, uh, that's what I wanted to create. Mm. And I, you know, I did send some of the questions in advance to some of them, those who wanted. But for the most part, I just said, you know, there's nothing that you need to prepare. Yeah. <laughs> there's no uh, wrong answer that you might be giving or or right answer for that matter. Because all you need to do is just say your piece mm. and, and that will be perfect, however it comes out. So this one thing that keeps you together, but yet starts to fragment you. Yeah. What did that cause, the fragmentation within the family dynamics? Because I'm, I'm thinking of not wanting to talk about it to other people. Oh my gosh, that's massive. Yeah. That's uh, massive with mental health in general. I it think. is. So how did that impact that framework that Tell me was about that. profound i mean i think that's the biggest probably side effect of mental health is the stigma around it and the fact that it's still a bit of a taboo conversation i mean we've we've evolved massively from because you know i was eight years old we're talking like the 80s in sicily italy so um it was hardly talked about and through my years growing up, there was always this sense of this is the family secret. Ah, okay. And, you know, we sh it was always just a matter of covering things up. And then within my family, specifically my immediate family, my dad's mania manifested itself as physical abuse to my mom. So there was also the problem of domestic violence, which is also coveted with taboo and stigma. So yeah. it was taboo and stigma over taboo and stigma. Well, and so a question comes for me about whether these were taboos and stigmas that were actually recognized by the community. So did they actually mm. label them, know what they were, or it was just kind of an accepted thing yes. that happens within families, That's but right. no one talks about it? Correct. That's exactly how it is. That's exactly how it is. And also the effort of trying to cover things up from people outside of the family. Mm. So there was this thing within my immediate family where my mother was tr was covering up the abuse to the family. Mm. And then the family was covering up the mental health to outsiders from the family. Mm. You know, so you can see how toxic and, you know, painful uh, the whole experience becomes. And it's so painful, I think, sometimes that you don't even want to talk with each other about it just because you don't want to rehash the pain, right. you know. Right. So you're almost, at times, you're probably almost even covering up with your own self, you know. Mm. <laughs> There's a level of more not wanting to go there to kind of rehash all this. Because, you know, it's like the mania is so exhausting that when the depression kicks in, everybody's kind of almost in need of a little break. Sure. So who did you talk to, Serena? 
Well, I'll tell you, for the first, up until I was 15 years old, so from age 8 to 15, nobody. Okay. No one. And did you know what it was that you were experiencing? Well, as much as an eight-year-old can know what it is they're experiencing. What was it looking like to you? It it looked like a mess. (laughs) It looked messy and it looked painful. At that time in my life, I honestly thought I was never going to be able uh, to have a normal life. I thought I... uh, it's hard for a child to see the boundary between where their life ends and their parents' life begins. Mm. So I thought I couldn't for many years, probably up until I was a 21 and I left home. Mm-hmm. That's when that kind of distinction happened in my consciousness where I realized, hold on a minute, this is not my life and this is not my mental illness and these are not strictly my problems. You know, this is my father's life, Mm. uh, which has a profound effect on me, of course. But I have my own life and I have my own mental health and I have my own problems. And I started kind of, I stopped identifying myself with him. And I started seeing that, you know, there is a point where he ends and I begin, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, which happened quite later on in my life because when you're in it and you're so little you literally you just I honestly thought I was like how am I ever going to be able to like do anything normal when Mm -hmm. there's depression for six months and mania for six months and it's like it's like it's it's so invasive what was normality for you then well it became very normal to portray a character to the outside world and just uh, you know if we, i think if you'd some people probably had a hint but even some of my close friends up until i was 15 like i said at 15 years old was the first time that i actually shed in on what was going on at home with a very close friend and um that was probably the beginning of a bit of a healing process that started taking place for me just being able to share and say you know this is what's actually taking place in my in my home mm. and then from then on I, I i grew more and more empowered through the years until i reached the point when i was 21 when i realized okay you know what i actually need to create like some physical space between me and my father before this thing engulfs me and and I start really pro- profoundly suffering myself. Was there a catalyst for that? Yeah, I guess there was. A friend of mine whom I'm forever grateful to, um, she, just, um, she had just moved to London with a boyfriend and was a bit bored and wanted a friend and she was like, she knew what I did for a living by that time because I, I went straight into work after 18. I never, I never went to college. I didn't think I could do that Mm. for these very reasons i i felt like i had to kind of start becoming financially independent as soon as i could Mm -hmm. so not sorry not to wait on my family so she knew that i was working in fashion and she was like oh there's the london college of fashion here why don't you come for a few months and take a course with me and it's one of those phone calls that you know are going to profoundly change the course of your life right the moment I received this phone call and I had this conversation with her, I knew that this was going to profoundly transform the course of my life. And uh, so I went with the intention of staying two months, uh, but I, I, can't, I knew that, that this was the, the, the little break that I needed th- to, to really start taking care of myself and create my own life. Right, okay. Now, you've created this unit where 
You know, one thing I hear, I hear you talking about coming away from your own environment to see more clearly. Yes. And I hear the remainder of the family staying there, uh, unable to really see the clarity because there's so much in it. Yeah. So when you brought this project to them Mm -hmm. and there was a discussion, Mm -hmm. was that a similar effect on them? that now that you were shedding light on everything and they were able to see it in a different way. That's exactly right. Okay, and how did they express that? By participating. Okay. And authentically sharing and supporting me through something that is actually quite vulnerable and confronting, you know, especially when I decided that I wanted to go public with it and I realized that I wanted to just share it with the world. Mm. Because through the making of it, the, the the more we started working on it, the more I realized that it would have been so profoundly selfish to keep this for myself when I had witnessed how beautiful and cathartic an experience it had been for my family. And I started thinking, I mean, there's so many people out there who are stuck in this, in this rut when it comes to their own experience with mental health. What if watching our movie can just spark a new conversation in their family? Yeah, of course. And on that note, let's just go for a little break. This is Welcome back. You're listening to Nicolette on Riverside Radio. And I'm talking with Serena Savala in the studio all about mental health, bipolar condition and her family, her video, her story. Uh, Remind me what it's called. Like Father. That's the one. Like Father. father. Thank you. Because it's in wonderful Italian and I don't read Italian. (laughs) I couldn't blag it. (laughs) So we're talking about the impact this is having on you and your family and the fact that you've now got your family together. They're in a space. They're there consensually and they're there and have demonstrated by being there and being open that actually you're taking us out of our bubble now and we're seeing things for how it really is. And so you're in this process that you said, even if the video, the film didn't happen, you would just be, yes, this is a result, a success. Mm -hmm. So usually within family units, you get members that take on roles that either hinder (laughs) or they support the family. You know, for example, the carer, the fixer, the placator. And I'm curious about whether you experienced any of this growing up. Did you have family members who took it upon themselves or just fell into those roles. And how did your father's bipolar impact those dynamics? Did it shift anything? Yeah, most definitely. Well, I think it's interesting because if you, anybody that watches the documentary um, can start to, can see these little traits popping out Mm. in just how they're sharing and how they're talking uh, about their own personal experience Mm -hmm. of it. And I think, I think uh, we kind of all take, took, used to take turns, and there would be certain instances where one person would become the carer and the other one become the blockader, and you know, right. like uh, so. I think we went around in circles, and although s- some people were more prominently f- in, on the front line for a period of time, mm-hmm. um, because it's so draining and so exhausting, I think it kind of. And thankfully, I must say, it, it's quite a few of us because my father has two brothers and a sister. Right. So they kind of each took turn and we all took turn into who we were being in that specific instance. So I want to say that we mostly experienced all of them mm. at some point and or another in a very extreme way, sadly, because the problems that we were dealing with each time were 
very extreme. Yes, of course. And how many family members were gathered are uh, were gathered in the actual film itself? Well, nine of them chose to participate. Right. Okay. Yeah. So we didn't shoot all of them. Uh, at once but in that one specific instance the day when I was very nervous was the day when we shot my dad and my grandma and all of his siblings Mm. all at once Mm. Um, and obviously he's outside of me my mom and my sister yeah Um, his siblings were the ones that were most closely affected have been the most closely affected by it all why is that well, it's just, you know, it's the immediate family. Mm. It's the immediate, and the, the nature of the family as well, which is also very Italian, you know, very kind of, we were very close. Yeah. Before this all happened, we were very close. We would spend every Sunday together, you know, all the brothers and would and, and the sister would get together. I grew up with my cousins. They, right. we would spend the summers, we had this family home, we would all gather there and spend the summers there. Um, so it was very close-knit family. Um, which has its pros and cons when something like this takes place. Mm-hmm. But the pro being that it, it creates this support system around the person affected. Um, the con being that they are all equally as profoundly affected because there's hardly any distance of between course. each of us. So th- this condition was quite insidious then? Yes, you know? very. Okay, and this slow gathering of momentum yeah. over time. Over a long period of time as well, and progressively getting worse, sadly, which is, uh, by the way, it's not every experience with bipolar. Right. It's my dad's experience yes. with bipolar. But yes. sadly, he, uh, although he's had some ups and downs, as a whole, he hasn't been able to get a handle on it and 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 get better he instead kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and it's you know it gets pretty heavy yeah was he on medication well they, that's why it's so insidious bipolar is because and in general again I'm, I'm generalizing and speaking from my own perspective they take the medication when they're depressed because who likes to be depressed? But they tend to interrupt it the moment that the mania, the manic phase um, takes over because it, it feels so great. You feel invincible. You feel like you have superpowers. And uh, so, and that creates this kind of vicious cycle of the higher you go, the further down you fall. Okay. The further down you fall, the more you want medication to come back up. Mm. So it's... And the moment you start messing with that kind of medication, mm-hmm. uh, well, you're really messing with your mind. Yeah. And we actually don't know fully how our mind works. We don't. Like even a scientist will tell you we know more about the universe than we know about the human mind. It's, it's, it's one of the most amazing, uh, oh, I don't know what to term it as, contraptions, uh, equipment, uh, machines. D- no, we don't. We, we, we don't know, know probably a such a tiny percentage yeah. of it. F- uh, facts are changing all the time Con- with regards to neuroscience, etc. And, and the medications are evolving and trying to keep up with the times as much as we can. But yeah. still, how can you medicate something? How can you heal something that you don't really fully understand? No, you can only do your best. You, we do our best. And, you know, I'm sure there's... The, uh, but, yeah, so it, it's hard. <laughs> now... No, I appreciate this film is about your family's take on your father, but I've also got a sense of curiosity about your father. Yes. And about what was his view of his condition and what was his take that he may have expressed in the film 
and to you guys personally about how he was living with it, what he was living with. Yeah. That's uh, this is a million dollar question right. that you're asking me right there, to be honest. Did he ever express? Yeah, he expresses different things at different times and you don't, it's hard to know what to believe with him. Um, on that day when we were shooting, he used a definition of it. When we asked him what bipolar depression is to him, he said bipolar depression is a lack of acceptance of your reality. That's how he framed it. So that's delusional? It's a form of delusion where you create your own reality, yeah. essentially. Yes. That's how he, I guess, perceives it. But then there's days when you talk to him about it and he tells you that, well, he, he's in denial of it. You know, he doesn't, tells, he doesn't tell you he's depressed or he's manic. He tells you, oh, I'm feeling a little bit low today okay. or... You know, oh, I'm just excited about the Christmas holidays. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. But he can frame it at any way that yeah, he, it's, uh, he it wants to. Yeah, I don't to think serve he, him. Because I don't think ultimately that he's in full acceptance, mm. uh, my dad. I think, in fact, one of his biggest problems is not the bipolar per se. I think it's the lack of acceptance, okay. which has caused this friction in his mind constantly and... Um, you know, you can't never get better and heal something that you don't even fully accept is there. It sounds a bit like that definition that he gave on the day is quite real, really, mm. relating to what you're saying, mm. that he actually doesn't That's accept no. the reality, whatever no. that reality might be. Right. You know, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I, I think, I don't think he was lying. I think. No, 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 I wasn't implicating. No, 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 I know you weren't. Um, but like. You were saying there were different things he would say at different, different times. Yeah. That's probably the most authentic thing right. he's ever said That's about it. That's what it's sounding Yeah, like. it's literally like, I don't like this, so I'm going to make something else up. I mean, I'm obviously simplifying something that's way more complicated than that. And everybody, I, I feel, I believe, um, probably experiences it experiences it slightly differently mm. although there's some common traits i think it, it's very individual because it's affecting your brain yes um and ends up affecting your personality it's a personality disorder so uh, a lot of it has to do with who who that individual who he is and what he's like when you were making the film what did you discover about your family's need for love and connection with each other and with your father and with yourself? You know, I discovered and it, it just blew my mind how much in need we all were of it. You yeah. know, because I had, on, and the reason why I thought I was going to be rejected was because I genuinely felt that each of them were, were getting that need fulfilled somewhere else and were quite happy with that, like with their own maybe individual families and, and didn't want to go there because it would just be painful or whatever. Yeah. Um, whereas I realized, which was beautiful to realize, that we all missed each other as a family and that we all missed speaking to each other authentically um, about this or about us. And we missed that connection that was there at one time and that we lost through the years because of these traumas. Mm. And that was beautiful to witness because I thought I was probably, I didn't think I was the only one, but I didn't think that everybody shared in on that wanting to reconnect and that wanting to kind of reignite the flame of love within the family. Um, 
whereas everybody was so ready for it. It's like they'd be waiting for <laughs> this to, to happen, for the opportunity to come around. Um, and so that was, yeah, that was poignant, actually. You did a great thing. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, I benefited from it just as much as anybody else. So, so like I said, there is a hint of selfishness behind all of this is that, you know, who doesn't love a loving family and a well-connected family and a family with great communication and who doesn't benefit from them? Like, is that what you wanted to, yes, to, to most get definitely, back? 100%, 100%. And the seed was planted in my consciousness because that's how we were growing up yeah. before it all happened and started to break down. So I knew the potential of what we could be with each other, uh, which is brilliant. I had a clear memory of what it could be like and what it was like. Yeah. So I I was just lucky that everybody still had that seedling in them and it just needed a little bit more care, lot and attention and, and that seedling started sprouting again. Uh-huh. Um, crazy that I'm using the, the seedling metaphor because that's the metaphor that we have in our company as well. Fa- yeah. That, that obviously resonates it with really you resonates quite, with quite strong. Now, you talked a few moments ago about everybody experiencing bipolar disorder in a different way. Mm. And I would love for you to share with us what your next steps are mm. with this amazing film. Yeah. Um, so we couldn't help but notice. Well, first of all, we got so much support the moment we released the movie to a wider audience it was actually quite overwhelming to see how many people that I barely knew some of them reached out and started sharing in on their own personal experiences whether it was with mental health or with bipolar disorder specifically or more generally with just family friction and family dynamics and and big problems within families that are not talked about openly just this kind of need of open honest communication um like it was incredible it was really incredible and that's when the seed was planted in our mind of is this it or is there more that we could be doing on a subject that is still not talked about enough because uh, you know it isn't uh, a subject that many many people suffer from so profoundly and you know if you've experienced mental health in one way or another either directly or indirectly you will know how big a deal it is to deal with and that's why we've now decided um that we'll we want to launch a crowdfunding to raise funds to create five um, movies in a similar style as the one that i did with my family just capturing the experience of five other families from around the world and literally just looking in on what it was like for them and um, and creating this same space, creating this same os- opportunity for these families to um, learn t- something new about each other and which will allow them to heal the past hopefully mm. and, and connect on a deeper level and move forward in an empowered way uh, and just transform the conversation around it. When you say we, who are you referring to? Uh, well, I co-produced and co-directed the documentary with one of my closest friends uh, who is um, still on board with it. And Would you like to big him up? Yes, of course. Daniel <laughs> Fazio is um, 
the director of Loft Films. Okay. He runs a production company uh, and he does amazing work when it comes to film production. And I was, I'm so lucky mm. <laughs> that he's one of my closest friends. And when, when I, because he also has been indirectly affected with bipolar disorder. So when I went to Dan and I said to him, uh, I want to make this documentary, and I was genuinely just asking for advice, uh, probably kind of cheekily hoping that he would jump on board uh, to some extent. Uh, but the the subject spoke to him so profoundly that he was like, yep, let's do this. Let's do it proper. Um, and that's why the film, if I say so myself, is so beautiful yeah. because, you know, uh, technically he's very skilled. He, that's what he does for a living. Sure. So uh, he went very quickly from being this like homemade little project that I was going to shoot on my phone to like a proper production. Uh, proper production. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say that is a, a wonderful example of love and connection. Love and connection with him. Absolutely. And he got a lot out of the project himself simply from 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 that cathartic process. Mm. Um because he himself has been affected and he was able to to just get some benefits out of, even though it's not his family, it was also benefit and able to. Wow. Yeah. So you're talking crowdfunding. I'm talking crowdfunding. Yeah, we haven't launched it yet, but, f uh, you know, uh, anybody that wants to be um, kept in the loop with it because they feel that, even if they feel that their family story is worth telling, you mm. know, because now we're looking for these five families that we want to capture um, all you gotta do is visit the Vimeo page of of the of the film and contact us through the Vimeo page. There's a contact us um, a link. And how do they Vimeo? How so do they get onto that? It's Vimeo.com mm -hmm. forward slash showcase forward slash like father. Okay. That's the link. Okay. They can watch the movie on there and they can also contact us if they want to learn more about the upcoming. That's brilliant. And I will put that link on the actual show when it is post-produced and brilliant. out. Okay? Thank you. So you'll be able to contact in that way as well. So five future videos mm -hmm. based on families that are experiencing in some way disharmony within for due to mental, mental, health. He mental health in some way. Mm -hmm. And what's your overall vision with all of this? In essence, we want to create the space for authentic sharing and conversation so that individuals who are directly or indirectly affected can heal some of the trauma in one way or another and move forward feeling empowered by it. Right. Because the loss of power is massive and it doesn't have to be. I genuinely, genuinely can say to this day, I can say, and this has been a process, uh, of course, that I have absolutely no regrets over anything that has happened in my life. And I, uh, I can honestly say that I embrace it all and that it's, I can truly, truly say that I wouldn't take any of it away. Mm. And not even the most, and there have been some profoundly painful episodes and instances that for years I was trying to heal, mm. but I was still going at it from a victim's perspective mm -hmm. of this broke me, I need okay. to fix it. Right. Whereas now I don't perceive myself as being a victim any longer. So what did you learn? Well, I learned 
that a lot of it is what you make of it. And I know this is one of those cliche sentences that people say and and I'm not taking away the pain or the trauma. It's there for sure. But you can genuinely transform it into an opportunity for growth and self-development. Mm. Um, and it's not always easy. It's still hard for us because my dad is still not well. Sure. Uh, it's not like he's finally found uh, some balance. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, I embrace this as a unique experience which has had it so much to my life. You know, I'm a wellness coach mm. for a living mm. and I'm just, I'm a great practical psychologist. Mm. <laughs> sure. I've learned because of it. so much, you know, and actually uh, having had this experience uh, growing up has equipped me so massively in being able to do what I do and spark transformation in people's well-being. So how could I take this away from me? It would literally be terrible it's it's one of my greatest gifts is that i know so much about human behavior and how to how to impact that and how to inspire people and how to motivate people mm -hmm. so one message that i always like to share with people who are dealing or have dealt with such difficult circumstances is there is some positive in it yes i swear to you there is and it's probably greater than you even think <laughs> And th there's opportunities there that are going to come out of it. And it's you are great in some way or another because of it. So don't just perceive yourself as a victim only. No. Um, know that you can turn this into your superpower. <laughs> Amazing. I love that phrase, superpower. <laughs> now, off air, we were talking about love and connection and, and how powerful it is and how it so is a superpower. Yes. Um, and you mentioned about a wonderful friend of yours who, through love and connection, you would love to just serve right here, right now in some way. Yes. Would you like to take a moment to do I that? I would love to take a moment. Thank you for You're giving welcome. me the opportunity of doing this. A dear friend of our community is such an inspiring individual. He's called Jean-Pierre de Villiers. Um, and many might have heard of him because he's actually quite a, a, a public figure, he does amazing work coaching high performance individuals. He has recently, unfortunately, suffered from a terrible accident um, whilst he was riding a bike on a charity ride. And he's the ultimate giver. Like this is a man that literally gives for a living. That's what he does, he's always on the output. And this accident has been quite invasive. You can go on my Instagram page, which is hashtag whole shift wellness. And in my stories, um, you'll be able to learn more about it. But we're just, uh, we've launched a crowdfunding uh, to collect um, as much as we can to be able to give back to a man that gives so much in his day-to-day -day life. So I would love, love, love nothing more than for everybody to pinch in what they can because uh, it's a long road to recovery for him. And he's doing brilliantly, by the way, considering what he's been through, because he's so strong, mentally and physically, he's doing better than the average person, but he's still a long way, a long way ahead. Sure. So that would be, that would mean the world to me. Wonderful. So, um, well, thank you for that love and connection <laughs> to Jean-Pierre. I'm sure he really appreciate it. And yeah, if there's anything that 
you guys can do out there to share your love and connection. If love and connection means something to you on a high scale, then please do go to uh, Serena's, it was your whole, shi- whole shift Instagram page. Yes, whole shift wellness, okay. hashtag, um, or um, yeah, at whole shift wellness. And on my stories, just um, a few minutes ago, I, I shared his, his profile. Okay, great. Well, that is it for today. Another Friday down. <laughs> Thank you so much, Serena. It's my pleasure. Um, so, dear listener, dear creative listener, are you closer to determining how important love and connection is to you? And if it's really important, have you observed how much it's present in your life or maybe not? And if it's not that important, does your life reflect that? Remember that whatever you discover is just okay. If it's low on your needs, then that's just fine. As long as your life reflects it, as long as you've got the synergy, as long as it's all aligned, and as long as you feel fulfilled as a result. So I want to thank you all for listening today. A massive thank you to Serena for being here, for sharing her story and for the future five documentaries that will get funded and that will continue to positively impact people who have been touched by bipolar disorder. And I really hope that you can see that love and connection are of major importance to us as human needs, but it depends on how you choose to incorporate it into your life and where it sits on your needs scale. Whatever your relationship with love and connection, remember that you have choice and that there is always a new way of thinking and a new way of being. Why don't you consider Serena's story of wanting to piece a fragmented family back together in spite of its mental health challenges because of her love for her father and other family members and her desire to have them all connected once again. And why not consider some of the positive ways that I have offered over the last two shows to healthily build love and connection into your everyday life. Remember that you can visit anchor.fm, The Curious Creative, to listen to last week's and other shows. And until next week, dear creative, thank you, Serena. Pleasure. Keep creating. This is